Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This week by Owen Hughes. Hello. And Mike Shawcross. Hello. As we take a look at a pretty big week in films, we cover the uh, new release of the latest film in the Jurassic Park franchise, Jurassic World, and also um, have a look at the career of Christopher Lee as he sadly uh, passed away in the last week. But first of all, we've got the quiz. Uh, it is poised 2 1 to me. So if I win, I make Owen watch a really bad film. Um, if I lose, it's two all, and next week is, is winner takes it all. Um, this week, after Owen was ver- uh, verbally and visibly probably <laughs> annoyed with me for slacking off on creating a better quiz than, than usual, I've come up with an idea this week. This week, it was 800 years since the Magna Carta was signed. Now, for those of you not from England, don't know what the Magna Carta is. None of us probably do either. But basically, it was the form. Wow. They, they they done some laws or something. It, the, king, <laughs> the king signed something, and they created some laws. Is that right, Owen? That's yeah. Why not? I mean, yeah. I did history. I remember doing history at school, and it wasn't the most productive of classes ever. I mean, I literally had people sat behind me in class. I was like just the desk in front of the teacher's desk and there was a desk behind me where people would sell weed to each other just in the middle of class this is secondary school um so yeah history wasn't the most productive of lessons for me because the teacher just clearly didn't really give a fuck and neither did the students but yeah i i mean i know what the magna carta is it's the thing that means that royalty can be held accountable to law that's essentially what i know it as Sort of like the first Bill of Human Rights, in a way. Yes. Yeah, uh, exactly. There we go. Us, us English went and civilised the rest of the world, essentially. And that's where it all started, with the Magna Carta. Um, and my idea was that Owen and Mike would have to come up with their free, free laws that they would want to impose on the world of cinema. And I'll pick the best one. Um, or the one that I like the best. It might not necessarily be the best one. Yeah, or the um, one that you might want to win the most. Yeah. I'll try to be impartial, but the temptation of making you lose is is so strong. (laughs) Um, So yes, these laws could be anything to do with cinema. They could be something to impose on on the acting community, the the behind the scenes people or cinema audiences. They can combine all three. They can stick it all to one type. Um, And Owen, you're going to start us off. I am going to start us off. Um, All of my three things, my three laws are about banning certain lines of dialogue or particular phrases from ever appearing in films again. Okay? So the first one is, no one 
can ever again use the phrase, what is love? It's fucking garbage. I think I remember it used in Spielberg's um, AI. That was the first time I saw it used. And I thought it was shocking then. It's been shocking in every single film that I've seen it in since. I think it's meant to seem like profound and intelligent or maybe like add depth to a, a certain situation or two characters interacting with each other. But it's just incredibly lazy writing. And when you think about it, it's just utter fucking bollocks. And there, were, there are a few exceptions, though, you know, such as if it's in the backing track of a scene performed by Hadaway, that's okay, <laughs> I'll accept it. Or if they were to ever adapt Richard Herring's stand-up show, What Is Love Anyway, which is an excellent routine, I'll have that. But otherwise, that's it. Cut the fucking line from all scripts, please, for the rest of time. So that's number one. Number two, my second law, black actors can no longer say damn or damn when reading lines from a script written by a white person. That's the caveat, okay? It's fine, it's acceptable. I get it, some black people will probably say damn from time to time, as will some white people. I don't get the fact that black people in films, black actors, black characters, have to say it all the time, no matter what character they're playing, what, what gender, what the situation is. It's just the most cliched stereotype used in film whenever any black actor is on screen, to express everything from, like, pleasure to shock, and I fucking hate it. I hate it. Okay? There's no acceptable terms for that now. If it's a white person writing the script and you've got a black character, just don't make them say damn. It just makes you look like a fucking moron. Thirdly, final, uh, final law I'm going to pass. I take the phrase son of a bitch off the list of approved swears and move it onto a list which automatically bans any future film outright and refuses it a certificate if it has the phrase son of a bitch. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but it, it's just become apparent to me in the past few years. It is used in almost every single American film ever made. It, and, you know, I don't even know if it's something Americans really say in person. I've never heard anybody, no one I know has ever said son of a bitch. Like, unless they were quoting, like, Arnie and Carl Weathers in Predator. And I think that's the only acceptable moment it can be used is if you're quoting Predator. Um, you know, it's, it's used once in the 80s. Fine, we've had it, done, but never again. Be original. Think up something else new to say. Okay, or... okay, you think up something else now, on the spot. Well, it doesn't have to be original. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying. You just said, you just said it natural. did. You just said be original. I said, that, yeah, well, I'm not a scriptwriter. <laughs> <laughs> so they can think up something else to say. You know, it doesn't have to be son of a bitch. It could be... Motherfucker. Uh, mo <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, motherfucker gets views less than son of a bitch. Son of a bitch seems to be acceptable. It's in Jurassic World, which we'll talk about later. It's in a lot of PG films because it seems to be the only one you can get away with swearing. You know, the only swear word you can get away with putting in, in younger films. So obviously it's in all of those as well. You know, you wouldn't hear... I don't know anyone at all, in real life, you would ever say son of a bitch. Do, do you, I'm, you know, I met a few Americans and none of them in the brief time I've met them or been speaking to them have said son of a bitch. As far as I'm concerned, it's not a real thing anyone ever says. So leave it. Just leave it. I'm not having it. Son of a bitch is off the list of approved swears. That's my final one. Okay. Uh, Mike, okay. That, um... beat that. <laughs> I don't think I will, but <laughs> right. In a horror film, tortures. Why do you always have to bang them to make them work? 
come on. <laughs> it's either going to work or it's not going to work. If it's not going to work, throw it away and run. Otherwise, it's going to work. Switch it on. And I run. wouldn't throw it away. If it's a big torch, you can use it as a weapon. Well, yeah, you could, but seriously, I always have to bang it. Always, you always have to bang it to turn it on. It's got switch. It's working. It's working. And then it works and then goes off again. Yeah, and then you get bang it again. Yeah. (laughs) Second one is cinema audiences using mobile phones in the cinema. Oh, my God. Seriously, these phones light the whole cinema up when they switch on. They need to be banned. And people need to be turfed out the cinema when they switch them on. Unbelievable. Just on that point, I was in the cinema watching Jurassic World recently. And I was in, like, there's an aisle in, in between two rows, and I was sat in one aisle seat, and someone was sat in the aisle seat just a bit further ahead and opposite me, and literally had her phone out on her lap, screen open, screen on, light blasting into my line of vision, doing nothing with it. She just left it <laughs> open on her lap. Occasionally, she'd, like, flick through the apps on the home screen and then go back to the, the home page again, or she'd, like, check her email and then close it again, but all the time, leave the screen on. And... I am normally quite a mild-mannered person, but in a cinema, I will tell people to either shut up or put the phone away. And I told this person, she nearly jumped out of her seat when I said it, but I said, excuse me, can you put your phone away, please? Uh, but yeah, it's just, why? What is the point? Why? I know. Did, did, did she put her phone away? She did. She almost put it away before I finished saying, and excuse did, me. And did did she like give some real sort of, and look at you funny? like, Or, or was she no. like, okay, yeah, I've been caught out here. I'll put it away now. She... If she was black and in a film written by a white person, she would have gone, damn! (laughs) A son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. (laughs) Yes. So, yeah, phones. Oh, terrible. And the last one. This is my favourite. Stop using CGI ghosts. Because they look shite. You can't use real ghosts, though, Mike. Yeah, but... (laughs) They don't exist. I know, but you can't... So what do you use? Dress someone up like they used to do in the old days. Well, I put a sheet over them. Yeah, that'll look better. <laughs> CGI practical ghosts. Effects, I think, is the point, isn't it? Use practical effects. Yes. Than special effects. Yeah, the yeah. CGI ghosts that have been around recently are utter rubbish. Absolutely so, so terrible. Basically, you're, you're going to... I thought about this because of listening to the latest WikiShuffle podcast. Um, the Ghost Watch from oh, yeah. BBC <laughs> using using their kind of effects to, to trick people rather than CGI. Yeah. Yeah, just get Michael Parkinson to pretend he's possessed again. Yeah. <laughs> well if you're gonna do it, put some effort into it instead of having just terrible looking um I don't know, it it just needs something more than just it's just so yeah. bland and just so easy to do. And it looks terrible. Just to sort of like butt in on that one again, because I'm doing it on all of them. Sorry, Mike. But in in a similar line of thought, um, aliens in films that turn out to be humans, stop it. Yes. If you're going to use aliens, do something. Might be a bit creative. Don't just have them as people who are either like infected or, oh, the aliens look exactly like people. Yeah, I agree with that as well. Yes. Don't. It's okay. just a waste of time. Uh, it's um, my turn to, to pick the winner. Um, and it's quite difficult because they were both good. Both very good. But what's tipping it for me 
is that for all of Mike's suggestions, Owen was verbally in agreement, whereas whereas Mike was relatively quiet when Owen was going through his. So by virtue of Owen being so positive of Mike's suggestions, Owen has in fact lost and cost himself this round of the quiz. And the film I'm going to make Owen watch may be a worse film than Kill Bill. Son of a bitch. It's, it's, <laughs> it is. The film we've spoken about recently on the podcast, it is the FIFA-funded and FIFA-made film about the history of FIFA, starring Tim Roth as Seth Blatter, United Passions. God damn it, Steve. You've only got yourself to blame, you son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, God. Oh man, I don't. I'm really distraught about that. So I, I've now made you watch Kill Bill and United Passions. I wish you made me watch Kill Bill. You made me watch Kill, Kill Keith. Bill, Kill Keith. Yeah, Kill Keith. Yes, Kill Bill, Kill Keith. Mm. Sam. Uh, oh my god, it only gets two on IMDb. <laughs> it opened in America the other week and made six hundred dollars. I think if you, I think on how many screens? A lot. It opened nationwide, but in select theatres. I think it sold one ticket in New York. I think Run For Your Wife made more money on its opening weekend. Yeah. So, I mean, I could probably fill myself shitting in a bucket and make more money than United Passions. I doubt it. (laughs) No, maybe not. But, yeah, but I am not looking forward to this. I don't even know where I'm going to find it. I think you can. I think you can um, get it from nefarious sources. Okay. Because yeah, I just I will not give FIFA any money. I'll just make that clear. Oh, they're brilliant, aren't they? Chuck Blaze has been undercover for years. Oh man, Jack <laughs> Warner's just now suddenly. Have you seen his? Like, did you watch last week tonight with John I've, Oliver? I have watched some. I've been watching his FIFA ones because he's, he's before his um, beef with Jack Warner. His two. His two ones he did on FIFA, the one at the World Cup yeah. last year and the one this year, were just phenomenal. They were excellent. The, the show is fantastic. I love, yeah. I love the show. But um, yeah, him and Jack, he bought time on Jack on uh, Trinidad and Tobago's TV channel. You can just yeah. buy airtime. Anyone can buy it. And he just put on a thing that was ranting about Jack Warner uh, and was viewed by everyone in Trinidad and Tobago. And now Jack Warner issued a reply to, to John Oliver, but um, yeah, basically Jack, uh, Jack Warner's gonna sort of dish the dirt on FIFA as well, which is hilarious because he's one of the most corrupt, I believe, from what I've read. So yeah, and and Chuck Blade is a grotesque human being. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just the whole thing is just a fucking mess. So I'm not gonna give them any money if I can get it illegally. I will, and that's that's on record. I'm saying that onto this podcast. I'm not paying for that film. But you're going to watch it. But I'm going to have to watch it. Yes. Um, <laughs> on to the news. It seems like a quite a, a contrasting tone now from this quiz. Yeah, just a bit. Um, whereas as a screen, what can only be described really is, is screen legend Christopher Lee passed away at the age of 92. Um, just, I think it might have been even the day after the podcast was released last week. Hmm. Yeah, um, which is really sad because he is a proper 
iconic film legend, isn't he, Christopher Lee? He's been in. He's been in some really big film. He's been influential in a lot of films, a lot of genres. He's been in a lot of big franchises. Obviously, been in Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, James Bond. Um, mm. He is. He is well known from for cinema goers of many generations. You'll have people who have obviously just seen him in the final Hobbit film, right back to people watching him when he first started out in films, um, probably post-World War Two. Yeah, so... And, and, he, and he even fought in World War Two. He did. I mean, the, the quote, I think there's a quote, isn't there, from the making of um, one of the Lord of the Rings films where Peter Jackson's trying to teach him how to stab a person and he <laughs> just says to him, have you ever stabbed someone in the back? I have. <laughs> That's paraphrasing mm. terribly. I'm sure the quote's much better than that, but it's pretty much that, and it's just fucking hell, right? Yeah, yeah. And they, I mean, yeah, it was pretty. It's pretty sad that he's he's dead and that we won't see any more performances from him because it's amazing. You know, was he 92 or 93? I think, I mean, and he was his early 90s, definitely. I think it was 92. Yeah, and he was still making films, massive blockbusters, probably the biggest films of his career. At that uh, age. And not films. All right, I'm sure they had stunt doubles and I'm sure they had people like that filling in from in certain bits, but not easy films to make physically, I would I would imagine. No, I don't think so. Um, I mean, I did think when I watched the uh, Battle of Five Armies, the, the last Hobbit film, that he was looking a bit old now. Um, but that's like now. And you know, you think when he was in Star Wars, he was like 80. Yeah. And that was over over ten years ago. I mean, just the man was just a a, a legend. There isn't a, a better word to to describe him, really. No, and I mean, you'll probably know him far better than I will from from his kind of earlier work in horror films. Yeah, I'm sure Mike knows him as well from those sort of films, actually, the Hammer Horror. Actually, to tell you the truth, the first time I saw him was the Three Musketeers. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because he plays Rochefort in the in the Three Musketeers, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Yeah, and that was that was a series of three films he was in. That was, mm. um, yeah. But Dracula, Dracula's just incredible. So yeah, it, and... he, everyone thinks that was his breakout hit as well in 1958. Well, he was actually it, like the first film that was really big for Hammer Horror, and was you know partly thanks to Peter Cushing and partly thanks to Christopher Lee was The Curse of Frankenstein. Yes, where he plays the monster, yeah. and because they basically cast him because he was like six foot five, uh, he did seem to have quite an imposing, it was quite an imposing figure by the looks of it. He was massive, yeah, he was enormous, um, and also the director Terence Fisher. He worked on a lot of films in the late forties with with Terence Fisher, who was brought in to sort of um, revive Hammer Horror at that period. And it was their first colour film. It was an absolute runaway hit. Um, and yeah, and then Dracula came the year after, which is yeah. what we now sort of think of as Christopher Lee horror films, you know, the sort of fangs and blood red around his mouth and that sort of debonair persona he had as the aristocrat. And yeah, it, that was that was made for £81,000 and like millions of people went to see that film. Millions, which at the time was for a film like that was incredible because horror at the time was still thought of as either the universal films, which were kind of cartoony. They're great. I love them. But, you know, you think Bela Lugosi's um, Dracula was not really gruesome. He was not scary. Yet Christopher Lee was 
he was menacing in that film. So it was you know, it, partly thanks to him that, that horror now is the way it is. So he's, he's, you know, he's changed that. And of course, as you said, he's been in Star Wars. He's popped up in a lot of other films. I think the only other one that we that we haven't really mentioned, aside from Bond, we'll come on to that, I'm sure, was The Wicker Man, 1973. Yeah. He turned a small little cult horror film into this like massive cultural thing. Everyone knows The Wicker Man. Everyone knows what The Wicker Man is. And he was the star of that. Um, well, him and Edward Woodward. Of course, but uh, you know, I think everyone as well has their favourite Christopher Lee film. Everyone's got a favourite, so I'm going to throw this out there. Mike, have you got a favourite Christopher Lee film or performance? It's got to be Dracula, but I do like him in the Three Musketeers. <laughs> I do like him in that. That was the first thing I really saw him in because I didn't see Dracula three a few years after that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so Three Musketeers. Nice. Nice. And Steve, have you got a favourite? Um, I mean, I've not gone and seen all these, these horror, uh, Hammer horror films, and I'm not the biggest Bond fan, um, but I'm going to go with um, his role as Saruman in um, mm. pretty much all of the, well, obviously all of the, the Lord of the Rings films, but I'd say certainly I think Two Towers was where he was at his best. Yeah, with the battle between him and Gandalf. And yes. the, uh, yeah. The tree things that I can't remember the name of. Ents, I think. Ents, yes. <laughs> yeah. That was uh, a really good scene. Yeah. Because the first half of that film's not very good. I don't think the first half's very good. It's just walking. But the second half with the siege. There's a lot is... of walking in those films, though. Yeah, there is a lot of walking. But anyway, anyway I think uh, he, he didn't win an Oscar either, did he? Never won an Oscar. Which, no. which means, um, I'm sure he would have been happy to know this should he have not passed away last week, it means he's eligible for entry into our Corridor of Praise, and I think we'll be getting him in there very soon. We will be, yeah, definitely. We'll um, we'll have to induct him next, I think. We've got yeah. a slot spare. We know we've got a slot for the next Corridor of Praise episode ready, which I think is next month or maybe in August. He's going to be in. He's got to go in. He's leaped ahead of the queue. I, I, bet, he, I bet he'd be delighted. I'm sure he will. <laughs> I would. He was uh, never even nominated for an Oscar, was he? No, no. It's uh, a shame, really. I'm sure he'll get some kind of posthumous recognition at the next ceremony now. Yeah, or you would uh, hope so. Yeah. yeah. But I'm going to just say as well, I have written an article called The Legacy of Christopher Lee. If anyone wants to go to the website, which is just failedcritics.com, it's on the front page, and you can read what I think about Christopher Lee on there. Okay. Uh, that's all for part one of the Fail Critics podcast this week. Up next, we'll be back with what we've been watching. In part two, then, it's what we've been watching when we look at the films we've seen over the last week. Um, oh, why don't you start us off in this section? Okay. Um... I've got one film which I want to talk about quite a bit and one film which I just want to mention, really. Um, I went to see, in the cinema, the uh, 1923 comedy silent film starring Harold Lloyd called Safety Last, which, um, if the name or of the film or the actor doesn't really ring any bells, it's the one where you see him hanging off the clock face on the oh, top of a building. Classic scene. 
Classic scene, absolutely classic. I'd never seen it before, but why I went to see this particularly was because it was being scored with a live band. It was live music in the cinema um, from some guys called Unsilent Movies who are at Unsilent Movies on Twitter. And they sort of give listings of where they're playing and stuff. I went to see them at the uh, Ultimate Picture Palace in Oxford. I highly recommend it. That was an absolutely fantastic experience. It was brilliant. We were sat fairly close to the front. And, um, you know, I've seen quite a few silent comedies in the past. Not all of them always work for me. Um, But this, I thought, was actually a really funny film for a start. I don't know whether it was just because I was watching it with, um, you know, other people who obviously were similar mind and quite enjoy silent comedies. I don't know. But it seemed to be like everyone was really enjoying it. And I thought it was really good. But the music by these two guys, one was on drums and one was on piano, Time to perfection. If they made any mistakes at all, I didn't hear it. I didn't notice it. Um, if you get a chance, if you have a look at their Twitter page or their website, uh, which is unsilentmovies.net, and you see that they're playing anywhere near you, I highly recommend it. They were absolutely brilliant. Really good. Even the guy who I went with, um, called Charlie, he had never seen any silent film before at all. None, whether it was comedy or whether it was a Fritz Lang film or D.W. Griffiths, whatever it was, he'd never seen any. And even he thought it was brilliant. He really loved it. it honestly, it was incredible. It was just phenomenal music and exceptionally good performance from the guys. So that's what I was just going to mention quickly. What I'll talk about slightly um, longer for is that... I don't know, I've drank too much beer. What I'm also going to talk about is Electric Boogaloo, the wild untold story of canon films, which um, anyone who listened to the podcast last week will have heard Paul, who quickly mentioned it. I think he even put it as his recommendation at the end of the podcast. Um, Played it um, at uh, Glasgow Film Festival, didn't it? Possibly, yeah. Have you seen yes. it? No, it, oh, just a okay. couple of lads were talking. I went to see that five-hour thing, and they went to see that. Okay, I think they made the better decision. I think they did make. The <laughs> it was uh, a well, it's a documentary exploring the rise and demise of Canon Films, and the two uh, infamous filmmakers and cousins from Israel called they're called Menahem Golan and Yoram Globus. That's probably That's probably pretty. right, yeah. Yeah, that's how it's spelled. <laughs> they went to Hollywood um, after making films in Israel. Back they made a film called Lemon Popsicle, which is still, to this day, even though they made it in the 70s, the highest grossing film in Israel. Um, but they came to Hollywood. They bought Canon. It was an existing thing, Canon Studios, Canon Global, or whatever it's called. They bought it, took it over, put their own stamp on it by making almost exploitation movies um and eventually they were bought by mgm who were themselves you know the film distributors who were collapsing they had to get a studio on board who would be relatively cheaply who they could sell the films for and therefore make some money and they struck this deal with canon which meant that canon upped the the amount of films they were making tremendously they went from making like quite a few films to making almost sort of 40 odd in a year, which was just unheard of at the time. They were churning film after film after film after film. Literally, like within weeks, they would come up with a concept for a film, cast it, write it, perform and film it and then print it. 
in weeks. Now, you know, I don't work in the film industry, but that's impressive. That sounds absolutely astonishing. What you get with that is, obviously, the balance between quality and quantity swings more towards quantity and less towards quality. So um, I'll give you an example of some of the films that they've made that you might have heard of. Okay, Uh, so Mike, Steve, have you ever watched any Chuck Norris film from the 80s? Yeah. Have you seen Missing in Action? Yeah. Invasion USA? Yeah. Delta Delta Force? Force. Yeah. That's them. They made those films. Have you seen any of the Death Wish sequels? Not the original, but the sequels. Um, I've seen two. Two. Okay, two was the one that they brought in to uh, revive their studio because Charles Bronson was a legitimate actor at the time. So they had Charles Bronson and Chuck Norris as their two big names. They were the guys they signed to contracts to produce a certain number of films every year. So that was their draw. They also made films like Masters of the Universe with Dolph Lundgren as He-Man. So you must have seen that. Yeah. 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 They made Hercules with uh, Lou Ferrigno, who's obviously the Incredible Hulk, as we know him. They made Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. <laughs> they, if you've ever seen like a ninja film from the 80s... With American Ninja. Them, American Ninja was theirs, yeah. They did Revenge there's, of the there's Ninja. There's five of them, weren't there? There's loads, yeah. So the first two are the only two that actually star Michael Dudikoff. And then he's not in the others. He basically, he was going to be Spider-Man. They had a Spider-Man film in the can, basically, in the 80s. Yeah, Spider-Man in the 80s by these guys who made Masters of the Universe and Superman 4. Yeah, we take the piss out of Spider-Man 3, but can you imagine? Um, But anyway, so the the documentary itself, not just like, it, it doesn't just chart the films they made. It goes through like the process of where they came from, so how they were almost like outsiders in America because they just didn't get the American idioms, they didn't attend any of these, like they didn't schmooze with the higher ups of business people, they just didn't get the culture really, they just went to Hollywood to make films, which is commendable. And it comes through in the documentary that really all they wanted to do was be involved in cinema. They wanted to just churn out films. That's what their passion was. It wasn't for making money. It wasn't for being a business. Although, obviously, their downfall is kind of instigated by their need to, to make money. But there's, a, there's like a quote that comes up in the film at one point where um, they're talking to each other. The two, they're two cousins, these guys, the two cousins. And one of them says something like, um, you know, I'm really concerned because uh, we owe the bank $5 million. I don't know how we're going to pay $5 million. Uh, and I think um, that was Yoram. And then Manahem, who's the more wild and crazy one, just replies, $5 million? Why don't we owe them $10 million? He's like, he's astonished that they don't owe them double. And that's their like approach. That's their solution to problems, was to just throw more money at it. So famously, it goes into detail in the documentary about how they got um, Sylvester Stallone tied to a contract to make a film called which I, did, I hadn't seen until I watched this documentary, Over the Top, which is about like arm wrestling. It's a sports movie. Yeah, I've seen that, yeah. It was, I kind of enjoyed it. I thought it was quite good. But basically, they paid him $14 million for his part in that film. And at the box office, it only made $16 million. It only made $2 million more than they gave Sylvester Stallone to appear in it. 
you know, that's kind of their approach to making movies. And um, obviously then there is the demise because they, they can't sustain a business like that. Um, and so that's what the documentary goes into again. It has all these like talking heads in it. So you've got, uh, well, like I said, Michael Dudikoff is in it. Alex Winter is in it, who people might know from Bill and Ted. Uh, Toby Hooper's in it because he worked on Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Uh, Albert Pylon, who I've mentioned quite a lot on, on the podcast in, in recent times, you know, Diane Franklin, Sybil Danning, Dolph Lundgren, loads of people, absolutely loads. They all appear in it. And as Paul sort of said last week, it's excellent. It is really entertaining, really enjoyable. I was riveted to it. I watched it on the Wednesday, I think. And then on the Thursday, I watched most of it again when I, I was I was showing it to my wife because she wanted to see it. So Watched it almost twice in a week. It's brilliant. It's really entertaining both times. I highly, highly recommend it. It's called Electric Boogaloo, the wild untold story of Canon Films. And it's on like iTunes and Google Play and probably Blinkbox and other places as well. Christopher Lee was in one of their films, House of the Long Shadows. Yeah, he was with Vincent Price and Peter Cushing. They do talk yeah. about that in the film, uh, in, the, in the documentary, I mean, about how um, Manahan wanted to have all of the classic horror film actors he says let's get Bella Lugosi let's get Boris Karloff and the other guy had to turn around him and say they're all dead they don't <laughs> they've died so that's how he ended up casting Christopher Lee Peter Cushing Vincent, Vincent Price and all that yeah because he didn't realise all these guys are dead they're just not around so it's, yeah it's got fantastic anecdotes like that all the way through from loads of people who were involved with the studio not all of them positive either that's the thing about this this documentary a lot of the people have very negative things to say about canon but most of them i'd say probably 80 percent of the people they talk to have all got like things they laugh about now when they talk about it and then there's a small percentage who just seem to despise the company and the cousins and everything they did so yeah very interesting documentary okay and mike what have you seen this week um, I've seen The Matrix on Blu-ray, which I want to just quickly cover, and also I saw Apollo 13 and Gravity back-to-back, which, again, both on Blu-ray. Anyway, The Matrix, the Blu-ray is so over-edited in its colour hues that it spoils the film. When they're in The Matrix, the green is so green, it, it it's untrue. It just overpowers the film, and I was getting—I was really getting fed up with it. And I was on the verge of actually switching it off and putting the DVD back on because it is that bad. Wow. I don't know if you've—if you've not seen it, you, you won't. But there's a comparison video on the on the internet about it, and it shows the actual cinema release and the Blu-ray release, and it is literally round Neo's face in the opening scenes. It is tinged green, and it looks like he's got a green beard. It is that bad. What happened then? Do you know? Is it well, the they, they wanted to exaggerate, by the sounds of it, they wanted to exaggerate where the people were, because I don't think people understood that they were actually, when they, they were in the Matrix, it's green. Mm. When they're in the computer system, it's um, yellow, and when they're in real life, there's no real tone. So when oh, they're in the... Yeah. When they're in the um, training facility and they're doing the, the fighting, it's it's got a yellow crisp feel to it. And again, that's over-exaggerated a bit. 
but when they're in the not when they're on the ship, there's not as much. And okay. when they're in the Matrix, it's just green, and you're like, oh my god, this is terrible. But even on the buildings, on in the sidewalk, everything had this horrible green mm. hue on it, and it it was it was terrible. And on a That's decent a... screen, it look it it makes it worse. Yeah, something that heightens the colours will probably ruin it. Yes. You need a bit of um, fade on it. Yeah, and that's that's a shame. Uh. Yeah, because it's... you get it, you do get it sometimes with Blu-ray transfers where um... this looks this looks worse than yeah when they they get it wrong. I know what yeah. you mean. But and you this, get like the bit is... that's in, in like really sharp contrast, and then the edges or like around the characters. All yeah, there's a slight stuff. blur, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. But no, this I mean this was you could tell the tone of the skin was different, and it was just it was like. Because they changed the hue, it where you obviously had stubble mm-hmm. or something like that, it, it just made it look gr- solid green mass. So he looked like he had this beard. <laughs> it's <just> horrible. <laughs> yeah. So I was really disappointed with that. It really was. Don't think I'll be watching it on Blu-ray again. Mm. I think the first time I saw it was on a pirate VHS, so you probably had still better quality than I. my first experience of The Matrix. <laughs> Didn't you go to the cinema to see it? I can't remember how old I was. When did, when did it come out? 99 or 98? 99, wasn't it? 99. Yeah, so how old would I have been in 99? I'd have been probably 13. I can't remember what it was. Is it a 15? It was a 15, yeah. yes. Yeah, so I had to. a mate brought around the pirate copy on VHS and we stuck it on and then he fell asleep. And I thought, this is pretty shit. And then that was the end of The Matrix for me for like 10 years. <laughs> Watch it again. <laughs> Um, yeah. Apollo 13 and Gravity back to back it's a very interesting mix of space drama Apollo 13 resides itself on the human factor whereas Gravity is just all about the um, I don't know, escape from space really mm. and there's very very little human emotion in it even when she's She's on the verge of giving up. You're just not connected. Where the three um, astronauts in Apollo 13, you're just desperate for scam. Even if you, I mean, obviously everybody knows that they get home, but it's a much more fulfilling story than Gravity is. And I've seen it a couple of times now recently, and it's it's I think one of one Howard's better films. Out of interest, with Gravity, I'm guessing you watched it this time on Blu-ray on a smaller screen. Because yes. I thought, because with Gravity, I thought the story wasn't that good and the acting wasn't that good. It's only one that's really worth watching in the cinema because visually it was stunning. Um, does it translate well visually to a smaller yes, screen? Yes, the Blu-ray is stunningly crisp and the sound is exceptional. It really is unbelievably good. You're going to love this, Steve. I've seen Gravity on my phone. What? Really? <laughs> yeah. I <watched> it. <laughs> it's got, I've got a Nexus 6, so it's got a 6-inch screen, which is pretty big, but even so. Still seems yeah. a bit of a pointless film to watch on a phone. <laughs> yeah. It was free. I, it was free for a little while on Google Play, and I left it too late to buy something to like rent when I was going on a commute to London, I think, and it was just there, so I just quickly added it and yeah, watched it on my phone. But there you go. I'm still really happy with my tweet that I put out after Gravity about the post-credit scene. <laughs> about the what? 
I said I sent out a tweet on the failed critics account just after Gravity was out and said everyone stay for the failed critic uh, for the uh, post credit scene and then put up a picture of the scene of them walking on um, yeah I remember that <laughs> I was really happy with myself I thought I was really clever <laughs> did you favourite the tweet that you kept it no <laughs> not that happy then I don't favourite my own tweets that's just sad <laughs> did anyone else favourite a few people retweeted it yeah, yeah a few people okay. got it probably probably not Sandra Bullock no, no. <laughs> she's not even aware of us yet. Yet, I've seen us. Coming in. <laughs> anyway, on to what I've watched this week. Um, a couple of different things. I've watched the Humans TV show, which is, I think, being co-made by Channel Four and AMC, um, and it's been pushed quite a lot by Channel Four. Well, I say quite a lot, relentlessly by Channel Four in the last month or so. Um, I think it's a one another remake of a Scandinavian series, but it's basically people can in this in this program technology is developed where people can buy lifelike looking robots to for whatever reason basically to act as, as servants more than anything else or to do manual labor tasks like that. Um, and the idea is obviously some of them become self aware and develop AI and. It's that kind of thing. The this, this series is, is only one episode in. It started reasonably well. It was watchable. It was good. It wasn't great. But you kind of have to give it a chance because it's a new series and you think, well, they need an episode or two to, to set things up. It seems to be very Black Mirror um, inspired, but obviously they were standalone episodes rather than a continuing series over a number of episodes. It's, it's different in that respect. But at the moment, it's... I'd say give the first one a watch and stick with it for a couple, but obviously I don't know how well it'll go. Hopefully it'll go well, but um, they need to find something original to do with the artificial intelligence idea because I think most of the tropes that come with it have been played out many a time now. They all seem to come out in a big group as well, don't they? We've had quite a few in this first half of the year. Yeah. We had X, X Machina, didn't we? Um, the, X the Machina, movie, Chappie. X yeah. Machina was a really good film. Uh, yeah, re- really, it, really interesting. This could also, this could almost have been a spin-off TV series from it, if they, if Channel Four, because Channel Four were involved in making that film as well. Mm. And sh- should they have wished to, they could have almost made it a spin-off of, of that film, but obviously didn't. Um, I think Channel yeah, got, Four are doing, that... doing quite well at making like. Um... TV shows at the minute anyway. They've had a bit of a run for the past mm. few years. They're, you know? certainly, they're certainly being ambitious as well in what they're doing. Where Sometimes it doesn't pull off, sometimes it falls flat. But uh, yeah. they're certainly being ambitious, which is kind of what you want from TV channels, really, to, yeah. to not just make procedural police detective dramas, which is what ITV, with the exception <laughs> of Broadchurch, maybe, seem to do ad nauseum. Um, well, the second series of Broadchurch was pretty bad, but yeah, Utopia was fantastic on Channel Four. I think that's been picked up by HBO for an adaptation as well for some unknown reason. Mm. Why would they? Why do you need to remake that? It's not even in a foreign language. They haven't got the excuse of Americans <laughs> won't read subtitles. It's in English. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, they make remake everything. They remade the in betweeners, which is really something that doesn't <laughs> translate to America, and it was awful. So they, and uh, being uh, human, and sh- being human, and Shameless doesn't translate. A uh, uh, estate mm. in Manchester doesn't translate to America, um, but yeah. they remade it, and it, it sucked by all accounts. So um, didn't they remake Only Fools and Horses as well? Was that I, one of those I, urban legends? No, they actually... no, they did. There's a lot of countries that try to do that with just. Um, I think it's comedy that tend to translate less well because hmm. because comedy it you know, when it's something like a sitcom like um, Only Fools and Horses or something it is quite difficult to translate. There's some sitcoms obviously like The Office that will translate well, which a remake will work. Yeah, but there's true. but there's some that are kind of more intrinsic to a certain country uh, or or regional area that just won't translate. People from somewhere else just won't get it at all and won't get hmm. it what it's about. And trying to remake it won't work because it'll lose something trying to remake it. Well, they couldn't remake Black Adder. No. There's only like a hundred years of history. Boom! Slam. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Perfect. Um, <laughs> and yes, the films I've watched were uh, the, the, the original Jurassic Park trilogy, um, brought up on by watching Jurassic World. I'll tell you my opinion on that later. Um, <laughs> probably running out of time, so I'll just do it quickly. Uh, the first one is amazing. It is, it is just awe-inspiring. I remember seeing it as a kid, and it just sort of makes you think, "Wow!" And it and it kind of still does when you watch it now. It's just, it's it's as a blockbuster, as a like a summer blockbuster kind of film. I don't know if it's released in summer when it first came out. It, it's pretty much perfect. Yeah, you know, the acting's decent. The, the plot's good. The science is is dumb because it's about create genetically creating dinosaurs but they, they so they've put some thought and effort into making the science make sense um the action scenes are good um the dinosaurs look really good it just makes you think wow the second one starts well until the t-rex gets to san francisco then it just goes stupid and awful and the third one is just um the yeah it's terrible it's not worth talking about really um but yeah the first jurassic park is just phenomenal it is the best adventure film ever made. I'll stand by that. One of the few films I'll give 10 out of 10 to. And I think it's particularly the first 20 minutes, faultless. It, I can't, can't it, pick anything out that one, I It's change. one of the only films of its type that has kids that aren't really fucking annoying. Yes. Yeah. I it, think that's partly because of Sam Neill. I think he does really well working with those two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I still had respect for Sam Neill. Yes, yeah, before you watched United Passions. Yes, before he sold out to the FIFA dollar. <laughs> but anyway, yes, uh, so that brings what we've been watching to a close. Up next is uh, our review of Jurassic World, which will include a spoiler alert, but we'll uh, obviously notify you when that's coming up. <laughs> This week's big do release was Jurassic World, the fourth film in the Jurassic Park franchise and starring um, pretty much no one bar one person from the the originals and some dinosaurs from the originals as well, I suppose. Uh, and Chris Pratt as the hero in a film that has polarised opinion on the, the <laughs> failed critics panel. Yes. And from people who've tweeted into us as well. I'll just say, 
that just because you've mentioned him already, and it's quite a good starting point for us. We had um, Phil from Wiki Shuffle who tweeted us. I thought you were going to um, say Chris Pratt then, as we'd mentioned him already. And yeah, Chris Pratt tweeted in <laughs> yeah. and said, "Get that Steve off the fucking podcast if he's going to slate my film." No, he didn't. <laughs> um, I like Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy, Chris. That was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Not much of recreation though. So. Yeah. Yeah, never really got on with that, so... I like Parks and Rec, but... Um, yeah, I was surprised... I think uh, I was surprised that he didn't take his shirt off in this. He's become quite the buff character, hasn't he? He, he did fix a motorbike, though, which is the next best thing. Yes, he did, yeah. He drank a Coke that was there and then wasn't. Is that, that nice was, bit of product was that, placement. Was that next to the Mercedes? That was, ne- that I was when he was... I swear, with one of the Mercedes, when they pull up outside the Irex pen the first time that he goes there, I swear it's the camera pans in front of the Mercedes badge, and then you know, kind of that scene in Hot Fuzz where the, the like the, it goes back, the two Andes like pop their head back around, then pop it back. Oh, yeah. I swear, <laughs> I swear the camera is just going away from the Mercedes, on going away from the Mercedes, and it just, I swear, it drifted back a little bit to the, and then went on again. <laughs> There is one thing that we can legitimately criticise Jurassic World for. That is the sheer number of product placement that goes on in this. Mm. I know there are theme park. I know that's like where it's set. You know know Jurassic World's not a real theme park, so they weren't advertising that. Yeah. But no. (laughs) But I mean, (laughs) I wish they were. There's no Disney World adverts there, were there? Even though it goes wrong every single time, I would still go to Jurassic World. But the, um, I mean, like, you've got the banners for Starbucks and um, what other place there was, uh, Margaritaville and stuff like that. They're just prominent through the film all the time, which really annoyed me. Yeah. But anyway, I was going to say, Phil from Wikishuffle tweeted us after he went to see the film and said, Jurassic World is terrible. The Bryce Dallas Howard character is the absolute worst. Is that like, I've always liked agree? Phil. You've always liked Phil. I hate I think she was that bad. I hated the film from start to finish. There was it, there was really stupid science that made no sense. I don't know why the scientists do this when they're making dinosaurs in the original. I think why they're doing this, but they're not being really stupid about it. I mean, they've been a little bit stupid because they've not thought things through properly. And the dinosaurs can change sex and reproduce on their own, but in this one, they're really stupid. They don't even think things through. They're just like. Oh, we'll put some cuttlefish DNA. We won't even think about what repercussions could happen from that. Cuttlefish can change. That's solid. This dinosaur won't do that. They're just, oh, but... they're just stupid. The acting is just not very good. Uh, the plot just kind of is. It's just lots of bad dialogue. The kids are really annoying. I wish they'd have got bloody eaten. Um, it's just everything about it is terrible. And I'll tell you what the the, the, the thing is about it. Jurassic World. They knew how good Jurassic Park was, so they had to make something bigger and better, which is actually following the plot of the film. They're thinking, you know, oh, the, the normal dinosaurs are good, but people are getting a bit bored of them now. So to keep people interested, we're going to have to make a bigger and better one, which is what they do in the film. But it basically ends up turning out with the last scene of the film, and it's basically going back and saying, yeah, the original is the best, and that's the same with the film. The set, uh, the, the franchise. The original is the best, and the new one is bloody rubbish. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is explicitly stated by a character that people aren't excited by just dinosaurs anymore. That is not true. I'm just going to say, I 
don't yeah, but Chris Pratt does Chris Pratt does refute that and say, Well, yeah, dinosaurs are still wow. Get over it. You don't need to create anything more. Everything has to be bigger and better, I understand that. And that's exactly what they do. But they do poke fun at themselves over it. And like you say, Steve, they are saying that the original is still the best. But they're not competing with the original. They are putting themselves down a little bit. But they want a film that will entertain and to tell you the truth, it so, does so, entertain. So they're basically trying to do what Twenty Two Jump Street did then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> they well, put I mean, front themselves all the way through it, and so they they but, are but, aware of what they are doing. But in my opinion, the original is lingering through this film. From of course, it is from from the. But you know, but it it makes it kind of makes the film worse in some ways because you just I just kept thinking. Oh god! Remember that bit from the first one? That was really good, and this is just crap. I will just sort of say the the point about the first one being better. They they used the John Williams score in Jurassic World. Yes. Completely inappropriately a few times, like well, you know in the original where um, Richard Attenborough's character says "and welcome to Jurassic Park," and yeah. then the music kicks in, and you look over the field, and there's actual dinosaurs, and it's breathtaking, and there's hairs on the back of your neck. Stand yeah, up you're never like, gonna, you're never gonna recreate that scene again. But, but so my point no is, point. they but, try to, no, and they fail. But there's, they even, try to. there's even a bit. I was watching The Lost World earlier, and there's even a bit kind of where first when they go to Ila Sauna, um, and so. Ian Malcolm, his his character Jeff Goldberg's character has already seen dinosaurs before, but there's a scene where the two guys he's with, they're following um, Malcolm's girlfriend, whoever it is. Oh, down the off. river. Yeah, and and they and then they look up. All three of them kind of look up and see the Stegosauruses kind of crossing the river. And all right, it's not a bigger wow as what the original gave, but it's still kind of like a oh, cool that is. And then you get that in this one, she's like. Ooh. Yeah, can I just say as well, by the way, so, I mean, I, know, I don't care that they've been bred in, like, captivity, these things, or from test tubes, you know, paddling a canoe down the river in between these massive dinosaurs. Oh, I know, that was ridiculous, wasn't you it? You wouldn't do that with, like, hippos. I'm just putting that out there. Why yeah. would you think stegosauruses are going to be, or whatever Any they were? Tame, mate. <laughs> no, I, I agree with that. That was... That's... But I don't, who's I'm not who's, do, who's doing that. their health and safety? Alton Towers. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! But you know, I'm not putting that out there as an actual complaint about the film's quality. But they do do lots of stupid things in the film. I agree. But it like, is a massively dumb, silly, predictable, cheesy, corny, made for kids film. And a lot of the moments in it where I expected there to be a big epic feel to it and they try to play it as this big epic moment. I'm not going to go into specifics. They just don't do anything for me. I think when we were talking about like um, this months ago, probably a year ago, when it was first in production, and I think you and me were talking about this on the podcast, Steve, and we said how the rumour at the time was that there would be gene splicing and I think one of the other rumours was that Chris Pratt was going to ride a dinosaur. And it doesn't quite he go that far. He pretty much did ride a dinosaur. He, it was close. I, th- I hope that it was like a completely fabricated rumour and was never going to happen rather than being in the original script and then cutting it out. That was definitely in the script. I can tell. I bet. I guarantee it now he was 
Dinosaur at one point, and they you've, got, you've got to leave some room for Jurassic World 2, I suppose. But you know, <laughs> that's obviously set up for a sequel. But how the hell are they going to do it? What are they going to do? Well, he's already it just... signed, hasn't he? So yeah, he's obviously got some idea. And it's not a surprise considering it made it's the you know it made two hundred and eight million dollars. No, two two hundred and four because Avengers is two hundred and seven, isn't it? In America. That's okay. The... Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's that's enormous. That is almost like one of the highest, if not the highest. I think it, I think it did surpass Avengers in the end. I'm sure it did because I've seen something online. Yeah, because you know how... Um, oh, did they get the revised totals from there? Yeah, so you know like how um, when... Uh, what was it? When Titanic beat Star Wars as the highest grossing film of all time. And George Lucas sent that thing to James Cameron, which was just the characters drawn all over the sinking Titanic. No? Not heard no. of that? No, no. Okay. That, uh, if I can find the image, I'll put it on the link. I'm sure I saw one earlier, which was for Marvel Studios um, congratulating Jurassic yes, World. Yes, yeah. Yeah, G- which is Chris IGN. Pratt riding a T-Rex um, as the T-Rex is holding Thor's hammer. And yeah, it's it. just, yeah. <laughs> so I think it, I think it did surpass it in the end. I think it went past it and became the highest grossing, or highest opening U.S. box office uh, on yes. record. Yeah, you know? and then that it's the highest worldwide as well, isn't it? With five, over five hundred million. Yeah. Which yeah. is incredible, really. I mean, the drop off will probably be big, but then again, I went to the cinema tonight and it sold out. It's showing tonight. Last it's Tuesday night. Still incredibly popular. Um, well, you know, I say still. It's only come out last week, but um, it is, it's astonishing. It is that was unforeseen. I think that people would still love dinosaurs quite that much. Nah, people always love dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are cool. There's two things that'll always be cool: that's dinosaurs and space. Dinosaurs yeah. and space. Uh, that there you go. You've you've sort of set up Jurassic World three now. Yes. Dinosaurs in space. They're going to build a theme park on the moon. That can't go wrong, surely. But I, yeah, I, I didn't see any redeeming features for this film. I didn't. I, I thought the funny bits fell flat, except except the one where the the guy from um, New Girl, who was in, he went to kiss the girl, and then she was like, "No, I've got to it." That was the only bit that kind of made me smile a bit. <laughs> there were all the rest of the funny bits just fell flat. I just found the characters either annoying or boring. Um, it was all expositional. There was no kind of, like, there yeah. was, didn't seem to be any kind of motive for anyone doing anything other than that's what I've got to do now. Like the bad guy, the I think his name might have been Hendrick or something, beginning with H. Uh, the oh, guy, uh, Vincent De- Hoskins. Yeah, Hoskins, that Hoskins, was it. Yeah, like, it just seemed to be like I'm being the bad guy because there needs to be a bad guy. Whereas... Um, no, he wanted. I mean, he wanted the raptors to be killing machines in a war. Didn't but it just didn't seem the same as kind of the whole sort of underplot in the original with um, Nedry's characters kind of smuggling out the embryos to Dodgson. Um, mm. Kind of really like undertone of a subplot of something quite nasty going on there. Well, yeah, you know that was all about sort of corporate espionage and so on, wasn't it? Whereas in this, it's just that uh, it's the military are bad uh, sometimes. Was basically how that was played. What I didn't like about the InGen in this um, 
film in this this version, they were they flew in and then didn't really do anything. They didn't. They, they, just, they just got eaten, didn't they? That was it. Yeah, yes. you saw the. There's like a bit with I won't say you know exactly what, but they act like real dickheads on the flight in. You see one of them do. Oh something yeah, yeah, it just yeah. pops off. One of yeah, yeah, and it's like okay, so these are the guys. That, I thought the tone of that was a bit off. For the film, I'll just say that I thought the film up to then was quite a light entertainment film. I know it's quite gory. There was a lot of blood, actually. Surprisingly, the, blood. Um, there's a nice scene in the forest that actually I thought was really nice with um, a nice blood splatter. It's camouflaged. That was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> that is the like only good line in the film, as far as I'm concerned. But the yeah, I mean, I, the, the tone of that was off. I think with those, the engine thing was a bit wasted. It was a bit pointless in the end and was just I did, there I did actually I did actually like Hammond's replacement um what was oh uh, yeah yeah yes. yeah I I did actually like his character and it's quite and um I would like to see more of him yeah I don't think there were many good characters in the film I mean this sounds like I'm really down on it I, I want to just put this out there I think it's a film for kids and as a film for kids primarily for kids it's still got a lot to enjoy about it in the it's fact that it's so big and dumb. Yeah, but that doesn't yeah, mean that has that doesn't mean it has to be really stupid and crap. Most of them are. <laughs> Most of them. But it doesn't they have to be. No. I know no. they don't, but the majority of them are. I mean, at the end I mean, of the that, day, that's that's what annoys. That's what's annoying me actually. When I'm telling people, yeah, I didn't like it. It wasn't very clever. It was stupid. Um, it, it was bad, and people saying, "Well, it's a film about dinosaurs. What do you expect?" It's like, "Well, no, because well, can... Jurassic World isn't. You know, Jurassic World's not stupid. Jurassic Park. The job, Jurassic Park. <laughs> say, Jurassic World. Yeah. Stupid. Say, but yeah, it's a well, it's a film about genetically engineered dinosaurs. What do you expect? It's like, well, no, you can make good films about on off the wall subjects. It doesn't just because it's about dinosaurs doesn't mean I have to accept it being stupid." The, not very good. The only point that the stupidness kind of like offended me a little bit in this film was, um, you know, like the first film is written by Michael Crichton. Yes. Legitimate, like science fiction genius. Mm. That, that, book incident, some... that book incidentally, The Lost World's on Kindle, but I can't find the, the Jurassic Park one on Kindle. Oh, right. It's on there, which is really annoying. So I've got a hard it. copy. I can send you a hard it's... copy. There are actually scenes in Jurassic World from those two books that weren't used. Yes, yeah. The aviary, aviary yeah. thing. So. But, you know, there's another point. I'll come on to that in a spoiler alert. But the, um, the only thing that annoyed me was the first film, the original film, very much uh, played on this science aspect of it. It's like hokey as it might have been. The idea that you can get dinosaur DNA out of, like, mosquitoes who are trapped in um, amber and therefore... You know, it's only partial strands, but then you can recreate it. You can play God, get this DNA from other, like, was it bullfrogs or whatever it was they got it from. That's great. That's great. That They they spend some time explaining it, and it sounds like a thing. It makes you go, well, why the fuck aren't we making dinosaurs? <laughs> this seems like it could be real. In Jurassic World, the explanation is science. They literally have, is it um, Jimmy Fallon? I can't remember. Yeah. The, the US talk presenter. He was on, on like, the, the, the display at one point, and he's explaining how, like, the gyro car things work, and he goes, science. I was like, that's not, that's just offensively dumb. 
But is That's it, like in pissing it, all over Michael Crichton's work, in, really. In Jurassic Park, didn't the filmmakers actually spend a lot, you know, Spielberg and the rest, actually spend a lot of time with science people, for lack of a better term, <laughs> to, actually, to, to actually, like, work Scientists, on the... Scientists, I think they're called. Yeah, science, <laughs> science men, science women, to actually, like, work on making things as accurate as possible based on technology available at the time, knowledge of dinosaurs at the time, um, that kind of stuff, and like try and make it not as accurate as possible, but at least kind of have some sense behind the science. That is actually one thing yeah. I'd stick up for him for in this one, is that um, I've read a few um, people from, you know, learned people around dinosaurs saying this time, oh, the original was really good uh, in terms of how accurate they portrayed the dinosaurs based on the knowledge at the time, but this time, those dinosaurs have feathers, and we found that out. And they didn't portray that in the film. And you think, well, yeah, because they twenty <laughs> years twenty twenty years ago they set up a film that you said was really good and really accurate as far as possible, based on the fact that they didn't know dinosaurs had feathers at the time. To change it now in terms of the narrative of the film would be really stupid. It'd make no sense. Also, you know, velociraptors are about the size of turkeys. In, yeah. Like fossils. Like yeah. Food. And in the film, obviously, they're huge man-eating. Lethal but predators. I think so. I think there were bigger raptors. Um, yeah, but not a lot. But they probably just swapped them around because the name sounds cool and whatever. Yeah, the I think one that was. was literally what they did. Yeah. yeah. So um, I mean, stuff like that you can kind of excuse, but like, yeah, basically, yeah. I, basically, I was sticking up for Jurassic World. A little I know you know. <laughs> yeah, you were slightly. Also, yeah. also the other really for, dumb for the, thing for is for the science in it more than anything else. Though, right? <laughs> Indominus yeah. Rex. What do you think about that name? Oh, it's ridiculous. But again, they laugh at it, don't they? But I think that's another one they purposefully take the piss out of. Yeah. You know. It's... And they, they even have a, a joke about the big corporations. Why don't you get them to name their own dinosaurs and have the Pepsi Mac? And, you know, so yeah, yeah. They, they do. There's a lot of tongue in cheek going on about it, really. And there's a bit, there's a few digs at Hollywood. Everything's got to be bigger and better. I'm I I don't mind. I think it's a good summer entertaining. Film. It's yeah. I mean, it has a dig at Hollywood for stuff like that, and then yeah. does it. And then does <laughs> then it. Well, it that's is it, exactly, that's what, it's exactly what it is. Exactly what its point is. So 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 basically, two of us liked it. I hated it, and think that if you go and pay to watch this film. You're just encouraging Hollywood to make more like but it. But the thing is, they're always going to make these films because it's just made up 500 million. It's yeah, yeah. So... That's, that's that's the problem. Is yeah. But the it's thing is, again, we've had this argument before that people won't go and watch the independent films that have got the stories, that have got the characters, because they just don't want to go and watch, spend the money on something like that, where they can go and spend the money on something that looks this big and well, grand. They're... They're a risk, and this is familiar. That's basically what it That's comes it. to. That's it, precisely. Yeah. I mean, it's like Ant-Man. I mean, the trailers on the on the IMAX, they've got an extended trailer for Ant-Man. And to tell you the truth, I mean, I don't usually do trailers, but I'm looking forward to it now. I thought Ant-Man trailer looked quite, quite fun, actually. I did. I, I think it's it's gonna. I think it might surprise a lot of people. I don't. I don't think the trailer looks particularly bad. I just know that it's had a really troubled production. So, um, yeah. But so did Jurassic World, didn't it? it? That was that wasn't the best production. Not not quite to the same levels of Ant Man. I well, think. Well, yeah. You know, they had a lot of issues with that. That's been in production for like ten years. It was pre Iron Man when Adam, not Adam Buxton, who's the other one, Joe Cornish was first writing it, and then 
Edgar Wright on board and was off again and on again and then permanently off again and yeah, I and, think that's going to be a mess. Anyway, um, anyway, that's, that's this that's all for our uh, discussion of Jurassic World for now. Obviously, got spoiler alert coming up, um, but recommendations for the week ahead from everyone. I'm going to go with the horror channel on um, which I believe is on Freeview now mm-hmm. um, on Monday night. And it's going to be quarter past eleven, and it's going to be Dead Snow, the Nazi oh, zombie brilliant. film. It's <laughs> so good. Um, Owen, um, twice in a row. This is two weeks in a row. Electric Boogaloo, the wild untold story of Canon Films. That's my recommendation. It was Paul's last week. It's mine this week. It's on Google Play, iTunes, Blinkbox, YouTube, whatever you want to rent it from. It's probably on there. Fully, fully recommend that one. Okay. And Mike. Uh, Grave of the Fireflies. It's on Film 4 on Monday, very late on, 1.50am. It's a brilliant, underrated war film by Studio mm. Ghibli. It's it's heartbreaking at times. Soul destroying, yeah. Yes, <laughs> but it's I think okay. it's very much worth watching if you've never seen it. Okay, well that is all for the main body of the podcast this week. Um, but up next we have got our spoiler alert for Jurassic World. We're going to take a more in-depth look at the movie um, and praise it or criticise it in far more depth. If you've seen the film um, or don't mind having it ruined, ruined for you, um, then join us for that. If not, if you haven't seen the film and don't want to know what happens in it, I would recommend turning off now. Matt. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash failed critics. Thanks for listening. Right, spoiler alert then. Um, we're going to take a bit more of a look at Jurassic World and some of the problems with it or some of the um, positives from it. Um, I thought the film was really stupid <laughs> and there's some things that really annoyed me and I'm going to go through a few of them um, when they see the IRX's scratch marks on the inside of the, of the pen and like, <laughs> oh it must have climbed out it's a fucking massive dinosaur and at that point it hasn't clawed its tracking thing out why can you not see that it's in there why can you not tell that it's in there without opening a gate for it to get out without going into the pen surely you must be able to tell that it's in there somehow doesn't make any sense why you've had why it's tricked you. It's like a dog tricking you. And then it waited until they knew yeah. that it was still a yeah. before doing anything. <laughs> it is like getting tricked by your dog. There's a <laughs> yeah. Ima- imagine if your dog well, wait, intellectually maybe it was waiting you for him to open the gate. Possibly, and then realised it wasn't happening. So this is one of the things well, I did really open didn't... the gate, didn't they? Because it got out. Yeah, it wasn't so even must, yeah. it wasn't even like claw marks up the whole wall. It was just like one little bit quite near the bottom where Chris practically no, hand on it. It did go up all the wall. It did go up. Did it? And then it's yeah. just sort of like 
right, okay, so you don't know it's in there, even though you're watching the cage at the whole time and it should have a tracker in it. But has anybody who's watching outside this thing and there's cameras and loads of people seen a big, massive dinosaur climb over the top? Yes. <laughs> you would have thought also. someone would notice it. Yeah. yeah. Or at least hear it jumping. It seems to thud louder than any other dinosaur they've had. Louder yeah. than the Rex, louder than the Spinosaurus. Yeah. Yeah. So that that was just dumb. I uh, think part of that as well is that they made this Indominus... Not Indominus. What's he called? Indominus. The Abominable T-Rex, I'm going to call it. Yeah. They turned him into a character of his own volition. You know, someone who... This this thing that makes decisions, hunts people, very talks intelligent. Talks to other dinosaurs. Talks to other dinosaurs. This thing that's been that kept was, in yeah, captivity. That was ridiculous. And then it was no just... social skills and could speak the same language the, the, the as a pack as, of... As bit, not the, even the, one dinosaur, but three or four dinosaurs. The, the, yeah, yeah, the bit near the end where it's like... That's why I can talk to them. It's part raptor. Doesn't make any sense. No, just it doesn't. It literally makes no sense. There was the, have you seen Blackfish, the documentary? And they talk yeah. about in that how they can get um, orcas from one part of the world and put them with orcas from other parts of the world. And at SeaWorld, they do that. They literally dump two completely different cultured orcas into the same pool together, and they just com- they can't communicate. They don't speak the same language. Why would a fucking dinosaur, like <laughs> Dominable Rex, I don't know, I can't remember his name now. That one could have spoken to cuttlefish if you had some cuttlefish put in front of it. <laughs> Possibly. I mean, what the... It's just stupid. That was incredibly the, stupid. The, the, the last Velociraptor turning up at the end of Save the Day was just so obvious. Yes, of course. Um, I, thought he, I thought he was at one point going to go, you're my boy, Blue. And just rip off old school completely. <laughs> but the, what annoyed me even more was the Velociraptor teaming up with the T-Rex. And then at the end, they did the thing that bad guys do in, in human bad guys and looked at each other and thought, well, we're enemies, really. But now we respect each other because we work together briefly to bring down this bigger enemy. And I swear they nodded at each other and walked off. They did. They did. I swear. Yeah. They did. I, <laughs> it was like, yeah, man, I'm, that was so cool. Let's do it again. It, it's just like, <laughs> You could just imagine it in like uh, if Arnie and Stallone were in the same film as like enemies, but they'd gone and like taken down a bigger enemy together. It's like, well, I could kill you now, but I'm not going to because I respect you and just nod and walk off. It's just, there's two dinosaurs. Why is that happening? It's basically they've turned it into a, like a, ke- a kaiju film where it's T Rex, yeah. who's Godzilla, who's versus other dinosaurs. So obviously, in the first Jurassic Park, there's the raptors. Jurassic Park 3 is the Spinosaurus, which is bigger and more deadly. In Jurassic World, it's this big... I literally can't remember what it's called. Indominus Rex. Is that right? Indominus Rex, yeah. There we go. Indominus Rex. You know, which is the next bigger level threat. I just don't see where they're going to go next because that's what they're going to do. It'll just be T-Rex versus something else. I can only see it being as as militarising the dinosaurs like InGen wanted to. Just people uh, riding the dinosaurs. Or, or that, or because obviously... Um, with lasers on their heads. Or, or um, Dr. Henry Wu escaped with all his knowledge, so maybe it's going to go even more mental with what they're genetically modifying. Because he obviously had turned into a, a mad scientist between Jurassic surviving the original Jurassic mm-hmm. Park and appearing in this one. Um, yeah. He, yeah, he turned into some kind of mad doctor, yeah. cr- creating stuff in his lab with no rhyme or reason or anything. 
it was basically him who comes off as like a villain in this film for no reason. Just yeah. he's changed and he's villain. He wasn't like that in the first one, was he? He, he was wasn't. Just, he was just normal size. I can't I can't remember a minute once the park went to shit. I remember a minute at the start and they're talking, you know, John Hammond's taking around the Chernobyl and he's like doing a little bit of a, of science talk. I can't was he in it? Was he in it when it went all hit the fan? I can't remember. The scientist. He got on the boat. Oh there you go then. So there you go. So he got on the boat. Then he you've got also... on the, Yeah, he left on that, that first boat. But also Indominus Rex is a villain. He acts very villainous throughout the film, which annoyed me. The other thing that annoyed me was um I mentioned it a little bit in the the review earlier. The aviary Yes. Or Avery, yeah. You know, the when they all escape and they're terrorising the theme park and everyone's going, oh, no, it's going to kill me. Someone's shooting them out of the air and there's massive ones and small flying ones and they all attack kids and carry people off and throw them into the mouths of big fish dinosaurs. There's like, fine, this is, this is quite good. It's been in the books. It's, you know, fair enough. This is probably what it would be like if it actually happened. I'm not saying it could, but if it did, then they disappear. They're gone. They attack people for a bit, and then, then that's it. They're not in it anymore. And they can't just, like, disperse over the island, because they would still just be in it occasionally. But they're yes. not. They just disappear for a maybe, bit. Maybe they shot them all down, and you just made them meant to think they shot them all out of the sky. Maybe they I don't just think there was that off. many. They just sort of went and flew off, and then that was that's it then. So are they all over the world now? Are they attacking people in, like, Japan? Are they attacking people in... You know, New York, London, or are they just sort of flying around the island a bit? I don't know. know. They just seem to disappear as soon as that bit of the film was done with. It's like, nah, we don't want these anymore. I did I did kind of like the T-Rex being released. I don't know why. Because it, it just yeah, kind I of thought... reminded me of the film with, with Jeff Goldblum like, making it follow him with the flare. Obviously, that's what it was meant to remind you of. But I just thought I just knew when she was opening that cave. I thought, yeah, she let the T Rex out now. <laughs> I completely forgot about it. I'll be honest; that bit caught me out. And it's the, I've just said how dumb it is. Maybe I'm dumber because the um, the moment she ran off into the little hut and got yeah. the thing out of the uh, first aid box, I was like, "What's she getting out of there?" I thought she was getting walkie talkies and was going to give the kids one of them. And then she ran off with it. I was like, "What the fuck is she doing? What's she got?" <laughs> they and then they hadn't even sh- mentioned the flare. I was like, oh, they, yeah. they hadn't even mentioned the T Rex up to that point in that film. Yeah, there is. So they it, feed him. They feed him. At, yeah, at the, the start. Very beginning. Yeah. Oh right. And they yeah. throw it, and they throw a flare at the oh, girl. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they do yeah. set it up. They did, and I, it, yeah. I completely forgot about it. I'm, I'll be perfectly honest. I kind of didn't mind the idea of, of the Velociraptors being trained. Uh, I that, thought I was going to hate that. I, that that was the... one, yeah, that was one bit I didn't mind. I thought that's going to be really stupid, but I thought, well, you can train lots of different animals. Why wouldn't you be able to train a dinosaur given the right time and method? Obviously, it'd be dangerous as fuck, but <laughs> but, they, but they did. That's what I liked about it, the fact that they showed that even though he had trained them and he had they had some respect for him they were still going to eat him at the end of that scene yeah where it falls in the cage and i thought oh i'll, I'll let them off yeah i can get away with that now yeah but yeah that that training thing was really annoying me in the trailers and i was thinking yeah. this is, no it's not going to work but no it, it did when, in the end. but when that's not the dumbest part of a film that really does have dumb <laughs> <laughs> But I will, I'll say this as well, finally, I think it's my last point about Jurassic World. 
But I've mentioned it earlier. It's not really a film for 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 me or you, Steve or Mike. I think it's mainly for kids. And there were some kids in the row over from us. For dumb it must have kids. Been, yeah, dumb kids maybe. But they were they must have been younger than ten. And as the film ended and the credits come up and um, Colin Trevorrow's name comes up and you know everyone's getting ready to leave and the parents of these kids just stand up as the credits are beginning to roll. The lights are coming on. And the kids go. Wow, that's the best film ever. Can we stay for just a little bit longer in case there's any more dinosaurs? And I thought, yeah, that's what Jurassic Park's meant to do. As Jurassic World can do that for kids now, you know, just like it did for me when I saw it when I was about sort of eight, seven or eight years old. Fantastic. Excellent. uh, Was there a post credit scene? I'm pretty sure there wasn't. No, there wasn't. I I didn't Mm. hang around. I was out. (laughs) But yeah, so I think... for the kids who are seeing it for the first time, it's still got a wow factor for them, even if it isn't necessarily there for us anymore. And I speak for myself I when I say it. us. I really enjoyed it. I had a good time. It's good fun. And it's a huge budget B movie, basically. It is, and that's yeah. what it. And it, that's what it is. And that's. Yeah. It's a second-rate Godzilla movie. <laughs> well, let's put it this way: everyone moaned about Godzilla. Yeah. Because they went, there's too much human stuff in it, yeah. and you don't see you don't see the Godzilla that much. But if they'd had Godzilla running riot for two hours, you'd have gone. There's too much Godzilla in it, and there's not enough humans. So they can't. There's a fine line between monster movies and having a human element in it, because you've got one of them's got to give. Mm-hmm. Super Eight does it. Super 8, the monster's not in it. Alien does it. The alien monster is not in the film more than five minutes. And nobody complains about that. It's because Alien's a fucking amazing movie. Well, precisely. But <laughs> they rely but I know, and I'm being facetious. And the tension to get yeah. you through that film. Whereas Jurassic World hasn't got that. It's not got the wow factor that the first one's got. So they can't rely on that. They just need to go at 100 miles an hour. And that's all, yeah. they, that's all they do. Okay, well, yeah, that brings our discussion on Jurassic World to a close, and obviously this whole podcast. Um, thanks, Owen, and thanks, Mike, for joining us on this journey through Jurassic Park. <laughs> uh, long may the podcast be around for the next one. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 